day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. Here on Detroit Today during the pandemic, we have been examining at length the challenges that face our food supplies during the pandemic. We recently looked at the disconnect between farmers who have nowhere to sell their excess crops and the food banks, which are seeing a surge in demand without enough food to meet that demand. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow is introducing legislation related to these issues, and she joins us now to talk about it. Debbie, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, it's great to be with you again. Um, So many different challenges everybody's facing. I hope folks are hanging in there, and uh, we will get through this, but um, it's going to still take a lot of focus and work and discipline as we work to keep people safe and get the food they need and at the same time be able to safely, you know, come back into um, the economy. So there's a lot, a lot of things on, a lot of things ahead that we have to deal with. Sure, sure. So, so let's talk about this legislation to shore up some of these issues with the food supply. Talk about what it would do. Well, as we all know, and as you said, I mean, there's been this unprecedented strain on the food supply chain. We we basically um, operate with two kinds of supply chains. One goes to grocery stores for all of us as consumers. So we're they're packaging milk in a gallon or half gallon uh, jug, and you know all the packaging is for us as individuals. Twelve eggs in a, a, a carton, and so on. And then you've got the, the bulk. Uh, supply chain, which is going to restaurants and and uh, fast food and and larger entities buying, and that's done differently. And so, when the restaurants now uh, are shut down uh, and all of the other bulk supplies are shut down, the farmers are trying to figure out what do they do. They nobody wants to dump their food. Nobody, and they they are trying to figure out how do they get it to the food banks, and uh, and our food banks want to be able to take it and so on. So this legislation is about filling those gaps. Um, first of all, with farmers being able to help them be able to um, retool some small and medium-sized distribution outlets where they can help them change that packaging. We can help them cover the costs on transportation, the costs on protective equipment for workers, critically important, uh, to be able to then make those connections with the food banks. And for the food banks, they have more capacity. When I talk to our folks in southeast Michigan who have more donations than ever, even though the need is much, much higher than what's coming in. But I hear over and over again, we if we're going to receive more food, we have to have more refrigeration. Mm. We have to be able to pay for more transportation costs to get the food and deliver the food and, again, protective equipment and so on. So the legislation is to connect all of that. And the USDA is doing some things. Uh, some things uh, are working. Some things aren't working. But there's a lot of gaps. And um, and the the final piece I think is important is this would involve uh, money going directly to state departments of agriculture to help fill the gaps so that we can work with our farmers and what we grow and be able to more efficiently uh, and effectively get it to our food banks and nonprofits. So um, that. You know, this is a really important piece of it. We've brought together everybody. There's 40 different organizations from farmers, um, the food bank network to uh, farm workers to, you know, all of those that are involved 
in every piece of the food chain. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that in the next package that happens in Congress that we can get this done, if not sooner. Mm. We really need to address this as quickly as possible. You know, uh, I, and I think that makes a lot of a lot of sense, the things that you're talking about uh, doing there. But I also find myself wondering right now about the ways in which this disruption of the pandemic sort of suggests uh, some alternate structures for for certain kinds of things in the future and food is is one of them if we weren't so reliant on mass food production and distribution and were sort of closer to uh, a more local food economy and I know we couldn't go back to you know family farms uh, providing food for for everybody but but I wonder what you make of the opportunity to shift to something different or the need to shift to something different and whether Congress and uh, and the regulatory agencies ought to be thinking about how to encourage that uh, as well as fill the gaps right now. We absolutely need to do that, Stephen. In fact, I've been leading the local food movement in the Senate now for a long time. When I chaired the Agriculture and Nutrition Committee, uh, we done we did a major push to local foods and supporting Eastern Market, as an example, mm-hmm. as a, a food distribution center, which I'm a huge uh, fan of and have worked with them for years. And uh, we, we have begun to do that. We need to do more of that. Our farmers markets are hit as hard as anybody else. If they can't get the food, if people can't get to the farmers market, you know, the whole distribution system is shut down. But we, we need more local food opportunities. Detroit is really... Uh, a national leader in this, in urban agriculture. But it's been a struggle um, that the current uh, USDA, this administration, was very slow uh, to set up an office of urban agriculture, which I put in the Farm Bill in 2018. They're just beginning to look at doing that. When we put together uh, disaster assistance for all of agriculture in the CARES Act, one piece was for local foods. It's the only one that they haven't provided money for yet. Yeah. So there's this uh, uh, a struggle between really what consumers want, what we need to be doing for a lot of reasons, for jobs, for now access to food and so on, and an old, what I view as an old southern agriculture sort of view of the world that I've been um, battling um, now for some time. We're making progress. But what we're seeing in the pandemic is another reason to care about this. And by the way, when we have really four companies that control the meat processing process uh, in our country, two of them, by the way, are foreign-owned, which has been another issue that I've been very outspoken about. Smithfield Pork was bought by the Chinese a number of years ago. JBS Pork Processing is a Brazilian company. And, uh, you know, we need to look at food security, even before all of this, as national security. Mm. And it's even more so today. So part of this bill is about uh, supporting small and medium-sized processors, you know, other local and regional operations as well, so that we are not dependent on these big mega corporations who, unfortunately, at the moment, um, you know, I think too many are uh, are foreign-owned. Mm. 
Uh, I'm talking with Senator Debbie Stabenow, a Democrat from here in Michigan, who is working on legislation to help address some of the concerning gaps in the supply chain as food processors have really struggled to meet shifts in demand and protect their workers. Food banks have seen high demand and farmers are facing challenges donating their crops. Uh, you mentioned meat processing uh, there, Senator. Uh, something we're hearing a lot about right now is the possibility of real shortages and the president's decision to order processing plants to reopen doesn't always strike people, I guess, as the right, uh, as the right call. What's the balance that we should be seeking there to make sure that the supply chain holds up, but also that people are not risking their lives by going to work? Well, we start with keeping people safe, which is what should have been done at the beginning. Uh, We have processors in Michigan who've been doing the right thing since the beginning, uh, but you have to start with people being safe so they can go to work, not get sick, uh, not risk losing their lives, and then you build from there because, of course, everyone wants the processing operation to be open. We need to make sure that that's happening, but you cannot ignore what's happening to the people who work in the plants and expect to be able to keep the plant open. So um, one of my concerns is that the administration, as they've done in other areas, sort of half does, you know, they, they, the Defense Production Act, they say they're ordering the plants to stay open. But really, when you look at the language, first of all, that's not what they're doing. They don't, they don't really do that. And uh, even as they say you have to stay open, all of the safety requirements, all the CDC requirements on protective equipment are voluntary. So they make suggestions on standards that normally, if, if the Defense Production Act was used in a, in a particular industry, was ordered to stay open in, in the best interest of the country, there would be rules for doing that. And if so there are no OSHA rules on safety that are being required, and there are no CDC requirements, unfortunately, from the Center of Disease Control. And what that means, unfortunately, we are seeing uh, huge outbreaks, and the, usually the uh, meat processing or other processing uh, centers are in rural communities. We're seeing huge outbreaks of uh, COVID-19 in those areas. And where are the other ramifications? Usually these are smaller hospitals, rural healthcare systems that don't have the capacity to handle that many people. And we are now seeing real threats to, you know, our rural healthcare system. And when we see in other states, now this has not been the case. I mean, by and large in Michigan, we have seen folks uh, in processing who are really working hard to stay ahead of this and are, are doing the things they need to do to protect workers. But in other states where they're uh, denying the science, refusing to really take this seriously, we're now seeing huge spread uh, of the, the virus because we would love to be able to say if we just ignore it, it would go away. We'd all love to say, you know, I'm going to just, uh, you know, talk to it. I'm going to tweet at it. I'm going to, or I'm going to ignore it and it's going to go away. We're in the reality of something that is a, you know, a disease, a, a health pandemic, a virus that is only going to go away if we are smart in magi- managing it and doing the things to keep us safe, and then ultimately having a vaccine that will keep us safe. And I wish it were otherwise. I wish I could raise, you know, wave a magic wand. We all do. It's just not 
reality. So I want to make sure that we are safe, that we have access to food, that we can, you know, open and get our jobs and small businesses going again in a safe way. And it's going to take all of us just despite the frustration uh, that we all feel uh, to just step by step do this together in a way that meets what's happening from a medical science standpoint. Yeah. Uh, I also wonder what you make of the struggles that the auto industry has experienced as it's opened back up. Ford in particular seems to be having trouble keeping its plants running, keeping the lines moving because of people who are getting sick and uh, plants that, that that are affected by by the pandemic. And this is a company that has taken extraordinary measures to try to protect its workers. I mean, the technology that they've invested in, right. the, 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 the thoughtful process they went through. I mean, I would put them on the sort of high end of uh, of, of response to this. And even they are having a hard time. Th- that worries me, I guess, uh, for the rest of the economy in a way uh, that I, maybe we haven't thought fully about in terms of what the disruption might might be? Well, I think what this shows is that even with a, a company working closely with their workers in the, in the most thoughtful way, I mean, they uh, we've been briefed by uh, the CEO of Ford extensively, and they have been taken extraordinary steps, as you said, really thinking through this, the design of the plant floor, um, monitoring workers and providing protective gear. Don't do a lunchroom anymore. Look for other ways where people don't congregate, uh, you know, to eat uh, their meals and all of those things, working closely with the UAW. And then even with um, all of that done, you'd say, yes, that's the way to do it. This is this is how um, a company working with their workers should do it. And then we still see challenges. And so they can't they aren't able to, um, you know, control if there if somebody gets sick and tests positive, they control their reactions and they then do the right thing. They they shut down a plant temporarily. They do a deep cleaning. They're doing all the right things. But it shows even with that happening um, that it is um, very, very challenging. And uh, and again, the most important thing is that the people who are going to work are safe. They have to feel safe. They have to be safe. And um, and so it's, it is going to be a step by step by step. This is not easy. But you have to start with folks who care and are responsible and trying to do the right thing. And so that's what I see happening uh, in the vast majority of places in Michigan, uh, is that people are trying to do the right thing, but it, you know, there, there's no guarantee that even when you're doing all the right things, that somebody's not going to test positive. But I can guarantee you, if people don't do the right thing, <laughs> then we're going to have more deaths. And we obviously nobody wants that. And so we just got to keep working together. We're being tested like, you know, no other time, certainly in my lifetime. And we have no choice but to work through it. And I also have to say that we will get through it. We will. We will. And when we are looking down the road at what we need to do for national security, which I believe is making more of what we need medically 
in the United States and producing more of our food, processing more in the United States, Michigan's going to be at the front of the line in leadership because that's what we do. We make things, we grow things, uh, we innovate. And as hard as this is coming out of this, um, Michigan will will be a leader. Yeah. Okay. Uh, U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, Democrat from here in Michigan. Good luck with the legislation. And of course, always glad to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Well, take care. Yeah, All right. Too. Good to talk to you. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to talk about the financial toll the pandemic is taking right here in the city of Detroit. Unbelievable numbers in terms of unemployment. Stay with us on Detroit Today.